Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the third and final night of the mission. I go able to come out. Let me go ahead and begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, Father, so again, I want to give you praise and glory as we enter this third night of the mission. Send your spirit upon me to anoint my words, to guide me, to inspire me to say the things about your love for us that we need to hear. So inspire the minds and the hearts of our listeners, those who are here. Shower them with your blessings and graces so that they may be renewed and grow deeper for the love of you and deeper for the love of prayer. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> so one of the, the, the main points last night in the talk was how for St. Therese and I think for a lot of us, our deepest inspirations and insights don't come actually in prayer within the time that we are praying. They come outside of prayer after it. And so it was funny, yesterday I spent a lot of time in the chapel working on the talk, praying for some sort of inspiration, some sort of a, a way to encapsulate this idea of conversation, uh, but one that is not of words, where we listen with our ears, but one that engages the heart. And so literally, I couldn't come with anything. And again, as you remember, hopefully at the beginning, I even said, hopefully the Lord will inspire me. And so we did that prayer. But if you paid attention, like after I was done, right before I gave the final blessing, I gave a little Latin phrase. It just like hit me. The Latin phrase is cor ad cor loquitor. And I said, whoa, my goodness, that's what I've been looking for. And so look, I proved it yesterday. The inspiration came just, of course, after the talk was over. So I did want to bring it up today to show that what I had talked about yesterday was true. The Lord does inspire and prayer does pay off. Cor ad cor loquitor means heart speaks to heart. And this is a, a, a phrase from St. Francis de Sales, who wrote the introduction to the devout life, uh, about this deeper connection in prayer with God that is beyond just a meditation, but something that exists at the core of our being. And so I think it sort of encapsulates what I was talking about, that giving and that receiving in the heart. It's the core, odd core loquitur. Um, but just keeping that in mind, I want to, before we get into our, our discussion today, want to very briefly recap what we talked about for the past two nights, especially if there's anybody here that this is your first night. But first, we talked about prayer as essentially being with God rather than doing something, rather than an activity or, or, or an art or a technique. And all we really need to do is to learn to be with the Lord. And then yesterday we talked about how prayer is, is fundamentally about receiving the Lord's love, receiving His grace, that attitude of receiver because He's the giver. It's not so much we can't give anything to God, He gives to us and we receive. And through that we can give back and that's the conversation. Nothing you're going to hear in prayer necessarily but the core ad core loquitur. And so I've been quoting from this book called The Essence of Prayer by Sister Ruth Burroughs, who is a Carmelite sister. 
And I want to give another quote from Herod that sort of encapsulates what I talked about yesterday, and in a certain sense, what we've been talking about for the course of our mission and our time together. She says, in the heart of Christianity is the God who gives nothing less than his own self. It follows as a logical conclusion that the fundamental stance a Christian must take is that of receiving him. The fundamental stance in prayer that we should take is that of receiving the Lord. His love, His mercy, His grace. And in a certain sense, if we don't take a stance, if we're always moving and doing, we can't be there to receive. And if our hands aren't open, if we're not willing to be that receptacle, we can't receive either. But yesterday we talked a lot about receiving His mercy and His grace and His love. But notice what she says. It's about receiving Him. And that's going to be so crucial. We talk a lot about what the things or the gifts that the Lord may give us, and that's very, very valid, are the gifts that we can give back. But essentially, in prayer, the Lord gives us Himself through the sacraments, through His Word, through His grace and love. And so we receive that gift of self from God who is love, from our Father. And what's the only response? We give ourselves back. It's that reciprocity of the gift. So this is the heart speaking to heart. Because the heart really isn't, we're talking about the organ in your body. We're not even talking about the seat necessarily of our emotions or our feelings. But the heart is sort of representative of the core of our being, the core of our person, which should be animated by love, which is that gift of self. And so we're talking about in prayer that gift of self. And that's why in Scripture and throughout the church's tradition, the spousal imagery has been used to talk about the mystical life. Because in that exchange of gift, the gift of self of man and woman, we can see that God gives himself to us. Christ is the bridegroom, the church is the bride. In scripture, you see the very beginning, marriage, in the middle, the Song of Songs, at the end, it's that wedding supper of the Lamb in the book of Re uh, Revelation. And so this idea of the gift of self, we are there to receive the gift of the Lord. But here is where I want to go in a different direction. And it's something that has really struck me over the course of the past month or two, and I've been praying about and actually talking a fair bit about with some of my directees and trying to help them understand better, but also uh, to help understand their own experience. Let's go back to that phrase that sort of encapsulates what we've been talking about. The fundamental stance a Christian must take is that of receiving Him, of receiving God. And that's true, and I'm not going to deny it. I mean, I gave a whole talk about it yesterday. But I want to propose that there is another, possibly even more fundamental stance. It's more crucial if we really want to 
get into the heart of what prayer is. And it sounds like maybe I'm making it more complicated than necessary because it's something that's really difficult for me to explain, although I think I got it in a way that maybe I can do it today. But the fundamental stance is not so much that of receiving him, but instead, the fundamental stance of the Christian in prayer is being received by him. It's the opposite. The fundamental stance in prayer is being received by God, allowing ourselves to be received by Him, received by the Father, received by Christ, and in doing so, being overwhelmed by His love and His presence. So it's not us receiving Him, but instead, Him receiving us. And so this idea of the depth of prayer as being received by the Lord for whatever reason, I've talked about it in Spirit Direction, and I gave a talk about it a few days ago, and even I talked about it in Retreat. And I said, do you understand what I'm talking about? Everybody kind of, you know, scrunched their face up and says, like, Father, what are you talking about? And so probably that's what y'all are thinking. They, they seem puzzled and confused. And yet maybe it's hard to understand, but I think the more difficulty is, is I've had a hard time explaining it. <clears throat> and so... I guess my challenge is today, I've had the challenge yesterday of explaining that, that heart to heart, how am I going to put this into words? So I'm going to hope that the Lord inspires me the same way he did. Maybe he'll inspire me before my talk is over. That would be nice, but I can't control that. So what does this mean? To allow ourselves to be received by God. And I want to do it by sort of using, again, our own experience. You know, Jesus, when he's talking about deep mystical realities, what does he do? He uses parables. He uses human experience. And so that's sort of what I'm trying to do to say how our experience is sort of like what goes on in our relationship with the Lord. But the difference is, unlike a parable, when we really experience this, we, in a certain sense, are experiencing the Lord's love, his, his loving gaze, receiving him and being received by him. And so I think all of us here, hopefully at some time in our lives, hopefully very recently, have experienced receiving love, or receiving gifts from someone else, or even being loved. And this can take so many different forms. I'm sure many of you know that, that book that was popular a few years ago, The, the Five Love Languages. Now, there are different ways that we can give and receive love. You know, words of affirmation, physical touch, gifts, whatever it is. And so all of these are sort of different expressions of love. And we can look back and remember, wow, I, this, this gift meant a lot to me, or this hug meant a lot to me. But these are sort of like intimate expressions, but very individual, explicit expressions. But what I'm talking about here, this being received by God, this being received is something more than receiving a gift 
or, or getting a hug or a word of affirmation. It's something more profound. It's being loved on a completely different level. Not just a rose or a flower or a nice word, but a love that is almost all-encompassing. That we are bathed in it. We are completely surrounded by it. But it's the love, and here's the key, that acts as an affirmation of our being. When I, when I use this for one of my direct teachers, like, oh, that makes sense. This being received by the Lord, or in a certain sense, being received by another person, I'm not just talking about the gift of love, is we are loved in a way that affirms the very, very core of our being. Where we're told, not necessarily in a verbal way, that it is good that you exist. It is good that you are alive. Where in that expression that there's another person who delights in our being goes back to what we said the first night, for who we are, not for what we do. And this is ultimately what we experience or should know about the Lord. Whenever we allow ourselves to be received by Him, He delights in us. He takes great joy in receiving us. It's the ultimate experience of being loved unconditionally. Even though you're flawed, even though you're human, even though you're a sinner, even though you are weak and human, I still love you for who you are. And in that weakness and our fallenness, it can be a tremendously redeeming love. Because we come to believe, maybe not in an instant, but eventually, it is good that I'm here. It is good that I exist. And it produces a good, healthy self-love. Not in a narcissistic way. But remember, love your neighbor as yourself. We have got to believe that we're lovable. That it's good that we're here. And so this type of love can mold and form our self-image. And as a result, because we believe that we're lovable, we're actually able to love other people. You think that you're not lovable, and you, I'm sure you've met some people who have some pretty terrible self-images. Very difficult for them to love other people, and very difficult for them to uh, allow themselves to be received by God. So, and this is where I'm going to explain it, and I think we can kind of understand it. This being received by God, this, this affirmation of our being, we as humans ought to experience it when? When we're children, when we're little babies, and primarily by our or from our parents. When we are received into the world. It actually begins in the womb. I forgot what they call this, but, but there's a study where they realize that children respond to love and affection even in the womb. It's he, know the mother's voice. So if the mom's all like agitated or doesn't want the child, the child can sense that in some very, very deep existential level. But when we come into the world, 
That we are loved by our parents for who we are, not for what we do. It goes back to the first night. Yeah, you're technically a useless child. You produce nothing for me, but I love you. I would give my life for you. That experience of love, which is not in words. It's in the flesh. It's on something so much deeper. Or the baby, from the, the moment it's born, or actually hopefully before it's born, is affirmed in its being by its parents. It is good that you are here. An affirmation of their being that continues as they get older. And it acts, at least on a psychological and emotional level, as the foundation for our ability to love ourselves, to see ourselves as lovable, and therefore eventually to go and give love to others. It builds that bond of love. It builds that bond of trust. But the truth is, you'll see, it's not only true on a human level and a psychological level, but the parents loving the child are supposed to be an expression of God the Father's love for the child. He uses that human love and works within it to affirm the being of the creature who comes in the world created in his own image and likeness. Am I making sense? All right. So here's the, 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 the beautiful way of seeing this. We talked about the father holding the child. One of the things that I've always been profoundly moved by was this idea of the smile of the mother. The mother holding the child and smiling at the child. And every day, the child gazes on the mom and sees that smile. The child doesn't understand what a smile means. Mom doesn't explain it. But in that gaze of love, something is being communicated. And so one of the great Catholic theologians of the 20th century, a uh, Swiss theologian named Hans Urs von Balthasar, writes so beautifully about this. He says, after a mother has smiled at her child for many days and weeks, she finally receives her child's smile in response. And again, I've never been a mother, but I'm sure those who have know the joy when your child smiles back at you for the first time. She has awakened love in the heart of her child, the korat kor. And as a child awakens to love, it also awakens to knowledge. The initially empty sense impressions gather meaningfully around the core of the vow. That's the fancy theological way to say, all of a sudden these, in these impressions the child receives, all of a sudden, this is a person, this is my mother who loves me. And so it's that response as the child receives the love of the mother, which is like, loves the child completely. And that response of the smile is, this is working. It's good that you are here. The child is bathed in this. This is that core on core. The receiving and allowing oneself to be received and the smile as the expression of it. The love, the tender love of the mother and the father awakens something in the child, in us. And therefore, now the child is able to perceive love and if this continues throughout the child's life, he is going to know who he is and be able to receive love and give love to others. And it should act as that foundation of his ability to be able to receive God and more importantly, be received by him. And I won't go into it. I think this, this idea of that 
connection of the, the parent and the child really can, can act as the basis of spiritual childhood, whether it be from St. Therese of Lisieux, you know, that was so important, or whether it be a scriptural version. To be a child is what? To allow yourself to be received by the Father. To allow yourself to be loved in the core of your being. When Jesus says you can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you become like a little child, what is he saying? You can't enter the heaven unless you sit, let me receive you. As a parent receives the child. If you fight, if you kick, I'm not going to be able to receive you. If you run away. And so the child allows the parent to receive them. And so even though it, there's a deep spiritual reality there, a lot of it we see is based on our human experience. Not all of it. Grace can do a lot of stuff. And why do you think, think St. Therese was so good at this and understood and trusted God the Father? Because her parents were saints. Uh, you know. Particularly the love that she had for her father. Her father mirrored and imaged the love of God the Father. So she had tremendous trust in God the Father because of the affirmation of her being. And again, as we're going to see, no parents are perfect. But pay attention to this, moms and dads. That love that you give your children, or that your grandchildren give to their children, is going to be crucial for the formation of who they are. The truth is, though, the lack of it, the lack of love, the lack of being loved for who you are, particularly in childhood, can have some very, very serious effects. Again, it depends what happened and how sensitive the child might be. We know a lot about this, the importance of being loved as a child, particularly that human touch of being received. And what happens when the child doesn't receive it, and even more what happens when a child undergoes abuse or neglect. Trust me, I see it all the time. I mean, I work with teenagers and young adults. I can usually spot it pretty quickly. Someone's been abused, someone's been neglected. And it happens often because of the way that our lives play out. And again, there are some extreme cases and sometimes it can be very small cases. I'm not trying to lay the blame on parents here or anything, but it can lead, because you're not told at a young age that you're lovable, in fact, maybe that you're not lovable, and you go in your life believing that can lead to some somewhat self-destructive behaviors. If there's something that you don't love or care about, you got no problem destroying it. And if you don't love or care about yourself or your body, you have no problem destroying it. One of the most harrowing stories that I, I can tell that illustrates this, I used to do some work in the juvenile detention center. And 99% uh, of the kids there don't have dads. And I'm sure you know that. And they go and act out in crime, and I'll always ask them the story of what's, what's going on. And uh, this one boy, I said, what, what are you in here for? He said, I sold the TV. He's like 14 or 15. He said, well, why did you sell the TV? What's the deal? I don't know. I was just wanted to steal it, and he'd been in trouble back and forth. I said, tell me, you know, what went wrong? Tell me about your, your, your parents. I don't, I don't have any parents. What about your dad? Uh, I don't know my dad. Well, what happened? Is he in prison? Did he leave your mom or whatever? And the boy looked at me, and he said, when I was born, my dad tried to sell me on the black market for $5,000 to buy cocaine. Oh, it's rough. I said, what do you do when you're told you are worth a night of cocaine use? 
maybe two nights. That's all your work. H how do you act out? Where's the self-destructive behavior? So I went down the list. You drink? No. Drugs? No. Sex? No. Stealing? Yes. Yeah. So what do you do? And I remember the boy. On my memory, I'll never forget it. Pulled up his sleeve and had all these little burn marks. He said, does I do this? Takes a cigarette and just burns himself. His whole body covered up. Because he's told he is unlovable. I have no idea where that young man is, but I still pray for him. Another way, of course, too, is also, particularly the victim of sexual abuse, sexual acting out. We see that a lot. Not just a little fornication here or there, but I mean, some really serious stuff, particularly at a young age. Some, there are some red flags here. Let's try to get the help that we need. And so what happens is, is uh, again, these are extreme cases, but none of us were loved perfectly by our parents. Hopefully we don't hate our parents for it, but they're broken, and maybe they went through bad stuff too. And so we, we all could, could be loved more. We all need to be received, affirmed, and particularly as we get older. And so what happens is, is those wounds that we may have received in childhood, big or small, we have the opportunity to be received by others, to allow ourselves to be loved in that way that affirms our being. And one of the, the, the people that, that has written about this, he's de deceased now, he was a Dutch psychologist, Catholic, named Conrad Bars, B-A-A-R-S. And, and he wrote a number of books, uh, and he had his own sort of way of seeing the human person and, and psychology. But the essential thing, I think, is true. His idea is a book called Born Only Once. He says, ultimately, we should be born twice. Born once into the physical world, and then born again, sort of emotionally and psychologically. And that happens, particularly when we are young, by being loved by our parents. And loved in the way that I'm talking about, this complete affirmation of your being. But what happens is, uh, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes it really doesn't happen. Or maybe we've endured abuse or neglect, and so we've only had one birth. Again, it could have happened in childhood. It could have happened maybe when you were bullied, when you were a teenager. It could even happen when you're in college. I mean, but it lays the foundation. It could even happen after that. Something happened or we came to believe that we were unlovable, that, that we're ashamed of who we are. It's all the stuff we talked about. And so what it does is it leads, as we talked about, to seeing ourselves as unlovable, allowing the shame to take over in isolation. And so this is what Dr. Bohr says. Unaffirmed individuals can be said to have been born only once. Their second or psychological birth never took place. They are like prisoners, locked in, lonely and self-centered. can often be very narcissistic. Waiting for someone to come and open the door of their prison. Waiting to be open to their own goodness and that of others. So that's what's so beautiful and powerful about this. No matter how broken we may be, no matter how big we think our walls are, our prisons are around our heart, that we can still be loved and affirmed in our being. It's really technically never too late, but it's going to take other people to do it. Because maybe our parents can't do it, or maybe our, our spouse can't do it. Ideally, it should be your spouse. That's really what it should be. And ideally, the parents or the children. But we all need to be received 
and the core of our being affirmed in order to be open to our own goodness. And again, you say, Father, I came here for a prayer talk. Yeah, I know, but I need to drive this point in before I get to prayer because if you can't understand it on a human level, it's going to be hard to understand it on the spiritual level. And as I said, what we learn through doing or what we learn in reality, we can carry into our prayer. A person who has been rejected or abused is going to have a hard time letting God receive him. Now, I'm not trying to say that I can explain this all the way, but, you know, on a college campus, I deal with a lot of people who struggle with atheism, lack of belief in God. And I'm always enjoying engaging them in, in dialogue. And one of the questions, the first questions I ask is, tell me about your relationship with your dad. And a lot of the times, my dad was divorced, my parents were divorced, my dad worked all the time, he was abusive, he was an alcoholic, he was absent. And, and so what happens is, is not only are we broken by that lack of love, particularly from our father, but also from our mother. Not, you, abused by the mom, whoa, that's really messed up. That can cause a lot of problems. We transfer it to God. If you have a hard time respecting your father on earth, how are you going to know and let yourself be received by God the Father? So there's a connection. A lot of the times, not all of the times, some of the people who are really entrenched in their atheism, you can get in a fight all you want with them. There's some very wounded people who are not loved or affirmed at the core of their being. Not all the time, but it's usually the first thing that I will look into. And so that responsibility of, of loving others and allowing ourselves to be received by others becomes the foreshadowing and participation of being loved by Him. But here's the thing, and, I, and, and I'm gonna, I don't want to sound bad, but the truth is to experience this type of love, this being received by another person which mirrors or participates in the love of the Father for us, as we get older, it becomes much more difficult. It becomes rarer for a couple of reasons. One, because very few people can love in this very, very radical way if they're not related to you, if, if you didn't come from their loins. It's really, really difficult. Also because maybe that they're broken themselves. We've got a lot of broken people, a lot of imperfect people. And, and again, I, you might experience this love from two or three people in your entire life. This love that just shocks you, that transforms you. Or you know that God the Father is receiving you in that person receiving you. Again, ideally, this ought to be your spouse. Ideally, it ought to be your spouse. But, and that's the thing, that love, really, even though this person knows that you're broken and you're imperfect, but doesn't reject you, it has a profound effect. And so few people have really experienced it. So not only is it because there are a lot of people out there, not that many people out there, they're going to be able to love us, but also the real problem is ourselves. Because it's really difficult to allow ourselves to be received in that way. 
So if it's hard for us to receive a gift, it's easier to give, imagine how hard it is to totally allow someone else to receive you, to completely drop down the walls, to make yourself vulnerable in that way. So, so very difficult. Even if we've done a lot of psychotherapy, even if we've been prayed with, and again, it's founded on that shame and that brokenness that no one will love us and that we're fearful of being rejected. And so what happens is we don't take the risk. I'm not taking the risk of exposing myself. I'm not taking the risk of getting close. I'm not really taking the risk of letting that other person receive me. Even my spouse, I'm not going to take the risk. Why? Because I've been hurt in the past or I'm afraid of being hurt in the future. So I take so much trust. Trust that Therese had came from that relationship with her parents. Even though she, again, remember her mom was, got very sick, she had to go off to a wet nurse and then her mom died. But still there was enough love, particularly from the father, that she had some issues when she was younger, but through grace was able to overcome them. So it's not just the dad, she, she had both. But she understood and was able to trust because of that great relationship. But the truth is, if we can drop down our defenses, if we can power off our shields, and we can find that person, I mean, it, it could be a spouse, it could be a priest, it could be a religious sister, it could be a friend, a brother. And, and we should pray, Lord, put someone in my life who can do that. Again, you don't want to go to the stranger on the street. Lord's going to have to send you somebody because it is a risky thing to be able to be this vulnerable. When we're, if someone knows our imperfections, knows what we've done, knows the sins, knows our skeletons in the closet, but still loves us. That's the shadow, or not the shadow, the foreshadowing, the participation. And the Lord says, even though you've done these things, I still love you and I'm still willing to receive you. We're affirmed in our being and can go do it in another way to other, to other people. Because the truth is, once you've been loved in this way, you don't forget. You're changed. Maybe you could fall back into some sinful behavior, but it marks you for whoever you are. Who you are. So, I mean, I can tell some stories, and I'm telling one of a young girl. I know it's going through a difficult time, nothing like super tragic, and she came from a good family, but just having a rough time. And as college girls do, she was crying sometimes, was hurt, and she was sitting outside of the chapel. Well, there was another young woman who came out of the chapel who was very well known to be very good at receiving people, probably the best that I've ever encountered, and it's had a profound impact. She honed in on this girl. And who, of course, was broken, but loved her and received her in a way that just transformed her, but clearly was a sign of the Father loving her. And this young woman said, every single day since then, I remember that. Now, is this young woman levitating now? No, she's still broken and whatnot. But being received in that way, she knew that it was God the Father receiving her through this individual. And it is, it can be profoundly transformative. And so it is, it's, it's in the body, it's with the heart, <clears throat> but it's also, we go back to the thing that I kept bringing up, it's with the eyes. 
So one of my favorite quotes of all time comes from someone who surprisingly haven't quoted yet. It's Father Jacques Philippe. How many are familiar with Father Jacques Philippe? Raise your hand. You should be familiar with Father Jacques Philippe. He's a little French priest. He's written a number of books. One will be a spiritual classic that you will read a hundred years from now. It's written in 2002. It's called Searching Far and Maintaining Peace. You should go buy it on Amazon right now. I give you permission. You have your phone. Searching for and maintaining peace. Now, the truth is, all it is, is a condensation of the thought of St. Therese of Lisieux. That's all it is. But it's in his own way. It's small. It's only 80 pages long. But I have suggested and given that book to hundreds of people. In fact, when they go into the bookstores in Lafayette, hey, I'm looking for a copy of that book, uh, Searching for and Maintaining Peace. Oh, Father Sibley sent you here. That's how bad it is. But we were blessed. We actually had, I brought him to the parish to do a mission. That's the thing. Y'all get me for the mission this year. But, you know, you could have Father Jacques Philippe one day. Unbelievable. Living saint. And he's right so much. I mean, I could quote him left and right. Most of the talks that I give are about with Father Philippe. He has another book called Interior Freedom. Those are the two best that he has. There's another one this month supposedly coming out uh, on the Beatitudes. But I use this quote all the time. He says, we urgently need the mediation of another's eyes to love ourselves and accept ourselves. The eyes may be those of a parent, a friend, a spiritual director, but above all, they are those of God, our Father. The look in his eyes is the purest, truest, tenderest, most loving, and the most hopeful in the world. The eyes of another to look at us and say, it's good that you're here, to perceive us, to take us in, in that gaze. But we've got to see it's God the Father doing it. So again, if you can't see that, if you can't see God the Father loving you and you just look at the person, well then maybe there can be some attachment. But if you see, oh, it's God the Father loving me, looking at me, affirming me in who I am, that's why the eyes and the gaze to be seen in love is the Father receiving us. It's good that you're here. But so often we can't see ourselves from our own eyes because we're so caught up in our garbage, we're so caught up in our darkness, Sometimes we're so caught up in ourselves. But we need the, the eyes, but it can be difficult. When someone's looking at you in that love and you don't feel good, you, you, you hide. You want to run. Don't look at me. I'm ashamed. Or you start getting a little nervous. Why are you looking at me like that? It's true, that's our experience. We need to allow the Lord to look on us. So again, so, so much of what I've talked about so far has been on the human side. And, and, and I need to get into the heart of it is, is the, the spirituality. To be able to say, what does it look like for the Lord to receive us? And what does it look like in prayer? And, and as I said yesterday, all right, maybe the Lord will inspire me, but it is a great mystery, even greater. And as everything, I can't tell you how to do it. I can tell you how to go to the chapel and do nothing for 15 minutes. It was like, I can't tell you how to receive. I can tell you how you learn it, but I can't tell it to you. And I really can't tell you how to let the Lord receive you. I can't do it. But as I was thinking about it, I think some people may say, well, Father, walk out here. You're making this so complicated. But the reality is, it's not. And St. Therese and her prayers, we were talking about the bird just looking at the sun and let the sun's rays shine on her. 
to the gaze, the exchange of the gaze. It's, it's, it's simple, but quite often the simplest things are the most difficult. I could tell you how to build a car. That's pretty easy. That's complicated, but it's easy to explain. I can put a manual about it. I could teach you how to play tennis, but to, to, to love or to be kind, these simple, simple things are really difficult to take a, long, a lifetime to learn. Now, some people will say, well, then golf is like prayer because it takes a long time to learn that. Maybe so. But the simplest things are the most difficult to do. And so maybe that's the real reason it's so hard to explain this because it's so simple and you just got to do it. You can read all the books you want. You ain't going to learn how to do it. You just got to do it. And so I think, though, as I said, the people who have been received the best by others often are the ones who are best at letting the Lord receive them. That's how it works. And so you almost have to experience it. But the truth is the Lord is the one who initiates. He's the one who says, come. And we have to allow ourselves to be received. As you're going to see, you've got to let go. It's based on that trust of the Father. You can read about it all you want, but until you jump out, that's another thing Father Jacques Philippe says, until you jump out of the plane, you are not going to fill the tug of the parachute. You've got to trust. You've got to trust that the Father is going to catch you. And so I think already what the experience of allowing the Lord to receive us is the spiritual childhood. The more that we trust in Him, know His love, are affirmed in our being, the easier it is going to be in prayer to say, Lord, I'm here, I allow myself to be received by You. I allow myself to be loved by You. But I think I can come up with a few more that might be able to flesh it out a little bit. And again, it's a mystery. I wish I could explain it better. Maybe I'll be inspired later. The first, though, is I think this is the one. This is the one, and it's scriptural, and it's one that everyone loves and everyone knows. I should say it immediately. And, and if I say, I'll do a little test. I'm going to say it immediately. The best icon or image of this being received in our totality by the Father, being affirmed in our existence, even in our brokenness, is the story of the prodigal son. Does that make sense? Raise your hand. All right, good. It makes sense. That's what it is. So I can just drop the mic and leave. All right, I'm done. So again, it's something so simple. And Jesus, what does Jesus use to describe it? He uses human experience and the parable. It's the prodigal son. Here is the son. I mean, he is at his lowest in his sin and his poverty, hating himself. But he trusts enough to return to the Father. And the father's waiting for him. What happens? Yeah, he receives gifts. He gets the ring. He gets the robe. He gets a bath. He gets these things. These are things. These are signs of the father's love. But what does he really receive? His sonship. He receives that embrace, the affirmation. It is good that you are alive. Your brother was dead, but he's alive. <coughs> come into the party. That's what he tells the older son. It's that love that, that, that resurrects us. 
It affirms the being. It's good that you are alive. You're not dead anymore. And so what happens is, is that son and that embrace is able to have that heart to heart. He says something, but there's not really much of an exchange. But he's able to see himself as the father sees him. As a son, with dignity, with worth. And something is, you know, as I've meditated on that, which is overwhelming for myself, and I think maybe for, for father, is like, when I, I, they call us father, so easy to say, okay, well, I'm gonna be a, a priest, a father. What does that mean? I have the same responsibility to welcome and engage others. I've been blessed, because I work with college students. And, and I'm old enough now, not as old as your pastor. <laughs> but, a lot of the students call me dad now. And they don't call me father, they call me dad. Because, I mean, I, I try to receive them, whether it be confession or spiritual direction, and I, and I love them. Some get on my nerves, but, you know, that's how it works. But I can't spank my children or punish them. But, but having those relationships with these young people who are very open to love, and giving has, has affirmed me in my priesthood. So I understand this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So I, I can kind of understand it. Yeah, maybe I've received it by, by giving it. It's a little different. So that's the first thing, the prodigal son. If you can understand that, you know what it's like. He just didn't receive a robe and a ring. He received affirmation. It's good that you're alive. That's, and, that, and the Lord teaches us that, not only, okay, because he wants to show mercy, because that should be our experience in prayer. Be received by the Father when we feel the worst, when we're the emptiest. The Father doesn't just fill him up, but he receives him into himself, into his house. Second, okay, that's a nice one. Because it feels good, it gives us warm fuzzies. But what's the other great spiritual example of someone being received by a Father? Jesus on the cross. Yeah, so that's where, okay, it's not as fun. That's the flip side. So here you have Jesus, who is the Son. He is allowing himself to be received. Now, he started very early. He allowed himself to be received and held by his mother. So he got, look, think of it. What does he love to, by the Blessed Virgin Mary? She never, she never got, Jesus was perfect, so she didn't have to scold him or anything like that. I like to say that that's why St. Joseph is a saint. He was always wrong. Mary was never wrong. Jesus was never wrong. St. Joseph, up, oh, it's my fault. The patron state of husbands. Oh, it's my fault. But so, but the really, it's on the cross. What does Jesus say? Into your hands, Lord, I commend my spirit. Even in the darkness, even in that experience of abandonment, Jesus allowed himself to be received by the Father. And his brokenness and his emptiness, granted, he's really receiving us. But the Father received him. And then he goes to the cross, Mary receives him, like we talked about the first night. And then every Mass, this is, this is the Calvary. We are joining our sacrifice to his, the Father is receiving us. But it's the cross. It's sin, it is bloody, it is broken. And so that's the point we're gonna to get to. It's not always gonna feel nice. You know, the final analogy that I'm gonna use it's going to feel really, really nice. But the fact of the matter is, a lot of the times, it's going to hurt. To be received is not going to be pleasant. 
Again, feeling doesn't matter. Being there matters. I don't care what you feel. Fidelity matters. And sometimes, yeah, it, it's going to feel great. In fact, I'd suggest people, if there's dryness in prayer, take that moment that you, by another person, felt loved and affirmed in your being, and it's like an ember. Bring it into prayer and blow on it. And then you can relive it. And knowing, well, you're remembering God the Father, the love you for the other person, and say, Lord, let me experience that now. But you're not always going to experience. Sometimes it's going to be dark, like Christ on the cross. It's going to be that experience of abandonment and darkness. But it can be transformative. Just as, you know, as we're going to see, the Lord experienced that, and of course he goes and experiences the resurrection. But we are grounded, even in that suffering, in our identity as a son or daughter. And we can have confidence even in darkness. Because maybe we can remember those experiences that kind of anchor. St. Therese is the great example of this. Even in her last, years of her, last months of her life, when that terrible darkness and the temptations to atheism came, and when she said, I don't even know if I, I can believe in heaven. But she never stopped loving. Even in the darkness, you can still love. Because she was confident in God the Father's love for her. But Cain, as dark as it was, as much as on the cross, she knew it, and she knew it through prayer. And though she was falling asleep in prayer, she knew it, sometimes, not all the time, she knew it from that experience of being received by the Lord. So remember, it's not always going to be warm fuzzies. But here's the third example. We, we talked about it the other day, heaven. Heaven is the third example. Remember the beatific vision where I said, okay, we see God, and we sort of receive him in adoration. And that's how heaven's described. But I'm going to say, according to what we're talking about here, heaven's the opposite. Yeah, we see God, and we receive him in that beatific vision. But more importantly, heaven is about God receiving us. About Father, Son, and Spirit receiving us into the life of the Trinity. And delighting in us. Remember, I delight in your existence. It's good that you're here. So not only do we delight to see God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we delight, or the God delights in us and receiving us. And we get to participate in that gaze. Uh, the Father, Spirit, and, and Son look at each other. We get to do it too. There's a beautiful quote from Father Raniero Campolamesa, who's been the papal preacher for close to 40 years now. And he says, beauty is the three divine persons facing each other from the beginning with a joyful and silent gaze. Look at each other. They know the love, receiving and giving. We get inserted into that. The Lord receives us in heaven. That's what heaven's about. And he delights in us. And then there's the cycle of us giving back and everything we talked about. So from these experiences, though, just as I've said, whether it be in prayer through other people. Again, this is something, it's a lifetime. You may experience it one time in prayer. You may not. It doesn't matter. But you are there to say, Lord, I am here for you to receive me. Good or bad? And you could say it. I could be the beginning of your prayer. Lord, I am here for you to receive me. Do what it takes. And so what happens is, Again, are you going to all of a sudden, whoa, I feel received by the Lord. But the more you enter into the mystery, the more you're going to see the change outside. And the inspirations in uh, the wisdom that you get. But probably most importantly, 
in your ability to receive others, to be that sign of God the Father's love and receptivity. Because you can't give what you haven't received. But the more we allow the Lord to transform us, what is he transforming us? He's giving us his love, he's receiving us, so that we can go out and love others. Our action has to flow from our contemplation. And our prayer transforms us. It does make us love others. People who are the most prayerful generally are the ones who are more attentive to other people. They, they follow the Spirit. They know their own weakness, and they're willing to show love to others. And there's so many people who need this, who are unloved. We're not going to be able to love them and receive everybody. But a great example of this is someone who I always try to talk about in, in missions and retreats. I haven't done it, so I'll do it now. Here's Mother Teresa. Here's a woman who knew how to receive other people. Can you imagine being loved by Mother Teresa if you're dying on the street, what that was like? Can you imagine? How'd she do it? Because she spent four hours a day in front of the Blessed Sacrament, allowing the Father to receive her. And what was her experience? 50 years of dryness. There are a couple of bright spots early on that she kind of used as anchors uh, through the darkness, but she said, this is the cross. And what was her job? Her, her mission was go and bring my light to the dark hovels, to the poorest of the poor. I mean, she did it in complete darkness, but she never gave up because in the darkness, love's all that matters. Nothing else really matters. You get all your stuff in the darkness when it's terrible and when you're in the middle of it and you're encountering other people who are lonely and it doesn't make sense. You can still love and receive other people. It's still possible. And that's how the Lord's light shines. And she said, yeah, she worked with the poorest of the poor, but there are a lot of lonely people out there. She said on a number of occasions, the most terrible poverty is loneliness, the feeling of being unloved. And so when we're able to give and grant that love to other people, it can transform them. They come to know the Lord's love for them. But we've got to be willing to do it. We've got to be willing to do it. But if we're not allowing the Lord to receive us, then it's not going to happen. So, the good news is, as I bring this to a close, because this is the end, the class is over, there's no homework. So, good. But I, 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 even though I mentioned St. Therese, I haven't quoted Therese yet. I've quoted Therese all the other two talks, so I'd be remiss if I didn't. I was doing some researching and trying to find something, and I found this quote from Therese that, that really sort of encapsulates it. Um, almost everything that I've talked about today. And it's so simple, but I think it'll make sense. And this is sort of as her death approached as she's dying. She says, yes, I'm like a tired and harassed traveler who reaches the end of his journey and falls over. So here it is. Therese realizes her weakness, her fallenness, her, her, she's tired, she's never journey, but here's the quote. Yes, but I'll be falling into God's arms. That's the key. That's the receptivity. It's, the, it's, it's, it's allowing oneself to be received. I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm falling back, but I know that the Lord is going to catch me. He's going to receive me, but she's got to trust. And so we have to trust. So let's make that our prayer from this retreat as we hopefully grow in prayer and learning to be with the Lord, 
learning to receive his grace and his gift, but most importantly, pray to allow ourselves to be received by him. Amen.